from VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Guys, what's going on? How are we doing today? Hello. Yeah, we're, you know, we're just doing. hanging in there. <laughs> Happy to be here. October. Spooky season in full effect. We're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Monday. What do you want from me? Oh, I know, man. It's are you guys like... Are you guys spooky season fans? Is this like yeah. a thing for either of you? I'm a Scorpio, so yes. Yes. Also, my due date was oct- October 31st, apparently, so. Oh. Really? Yeah, but I was born on November 3rd. Such a shame. <laughs> but do you guys like scary things? Do you like spooky things? Yeah. Okay. I like cool. I like scary things. I don't love every kind of scary movie. Like I'm not a big like gross out scary movie person. Do you know what you guys know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. I do. But I like but I like scary movies. Um, Is there a movie about. that has scared you the most? Um This is a good You too, Joanna, question. I'm curious. That scared me the most. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, The Shining is one of my favorites. Yeah, like most bad dreams? <laughs> I don't know. However you care to define it. If you if you have a if you have a sleep journal from your childhood that you can consult, great. But I, you know, just just general sense of dread. Well, I would have to first of all, I could check that out in my sleep journal and just see what's going on and how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> You know, I don't have – no, I don't have a scary movie that scared me the most. I mean, I guess I can remember Scream being scary, but now it's, like, funny and campy to me. Yeah, like Again, Halloween, too. Sh- yeah, like Shining was scary. Now it's not. It's a great movie. Yeah. So I don't know. I, what about you, Zach? That... The movie that scared me the most was Alien. Oh, uh, yeah. I probably saw that too young. Uh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> and – just like i i did love and still love science fiction but the like just that movie is i I don't know how to describe it other than just like the sort of starkness of that movie uh and just the the sort of relentlessness of it is still very disconcerting to me i've watched it a few times and like i think it's a fantastic movie it's one of the absolute best in whatever genre you choose to put it in but it still creeps me the fuck out and scared the bejesus out of me when i was a kid so yeah yeah, that's pretty easy for me that's a good one i think the the first scary movie i ever saw was silence of the lambs and like generally not Mm -hmm. a scary movie but there are some scenes in it that are an upsetting movie absolutely terrifying yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel that so what have you guys been drinking recently well i've been uh at my parents place and i love to rifle through their liquor cabinet when i'm home nice. Nice. <laughs> um i found a bottle of traverse city whiskey co rye that i think mm. that must have been gifted to them because they're not like big rye people um so i made a manhattan and i uh forced everyone to drink it <laughs> um nice. so that was good but i just listened to the mint julep episode cocktail college this morning and I really want to make one now because it's never been my favorite drink. Like, it's never been mine either. I hate a crushed ice. We've talked about this before. I really yeah. don't like a crushed ice drink. feels like you don't get enough drink. Yeah. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like it's all just like – it's just like watered down too at the end. Right. But that's like the, part of it, right? The dilution yeah. is part of the drink. So I feel compelled to make one. You are 100% right that every mint julep I've ever had in my life felt like it was like half the size it should have been. I don't really know why. 
other than just it's not actually that much liquid in a large like container and you think it should last you longer but yeah it's i don't have that i don't hold it against all crushed ice drinks but the julep always has that weird like mind bending effect on you where you're like how i've had like three sips of this and it's gone yeah. what happened yeah exactly mm-hmm. But that's also because it's delicious and a little sweet. And so you kind of like, I always go through them faster than I would a, a different whiskey drink that was a little less kind of drinkable, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, I always feel this way with drinks with straws, too. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> drinks know? with straws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feel you. It's, yeah. They're effective, but, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the straw's there for a reason, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have to tell my son half the time when he tries to like drink around the straw. It's like, no, 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 there's a straw there for no, a reason. A straw. Come on, Please buddy. don't try and drink that milkshake straight. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. What about you, Zach? Uh, I think I've had a couple things recently. Uh, continuing my my fresh hop quest, had a beautiful fresh hop beer from Sea Pine, another local brewery. Shouts to them. Um, I had a really fun uh, suave the other day from uh, Inama. Nice. That was really beautiful, like 2019, so not that old, but really like uh, developed wine, lots of kind of like honey notes, a little bit of nuttiness, along with a kind of bright apple and pear uh, deliciousness. And then, um, you know, it's been very fall here, early fall here in uh, the Pacific Northwest, lots of kind of sunny days, but cool nights, which I, you know, like everyone, a nice season. Ideal. Uh, and so I've been, been, yeah, kind of ideal. So I've been digging into the, into our single malt collection. I mean, I drink single malt some year round, but, but this, this is like the beginning of the season for me, really. Um, and I think probably the highlight for me of late, God, hard to pick one, um, but I think the, the Yamazaki 12 year from Japan, just a beautiful yeah. single malt, uh, really elegant has like a an almost a florality to it, which is like not something you associate with many single malts. There's a few from Scotland that I've had that I think have a floral character to them too, but just a, you know, really nice glass of scotch, which, you know, <laughs> in this point in, in the year and uh, just with uh, life at the moment, uh, it, it, sometimes that's what I want at 10, mm. 22 p.m. when <laughs> I'm finally done with children and work and, uh, but not yet quite ready to go to sleep. So that's, that's scotch. Nice. That's How nice. about you, Adam? Uh, so I've had a few delicious things. So my, my family was in town cause my mom, um, turned 70 and so they all came. Happy birthday, Happy Adam's birthday, mom. Mrs. Yeah. Peter. And they all came up to, uh, like this area, but beforehand my mom and dad actually, um, went on their own to the Finger Lakes cause they had never uh-huh. been to that region. And I told them that if they were going to go to one place in the Finger Lakes, they had to go to Nathan Kendall. And so they went to, so, you know, he makes, um, wine at his family's winery, Hickory Hollow. So he makes that wine and he makes his own wine, Nathan Kay. And he also makes a wine with Pascaline, but they were just blown away by his Pinot Noir and his Chardonnay. And they brought, uh, they bought two cases and then brought them down to the birthday party. And we, I did not drink all of those wines, all that wine. Okay. Uh, (laughs) We drank, we we drank a bottle of each and then I told them to take the rest home. So, cause they, they drove all the way from Alabama. So I was like, drive the rest home. Wow. Um, but they were, they're just really incredible wines. And like, I think proof that actually, um, you know, it's really possible to do, you know, that I guess the Finger Lakes is not just Riesling region. It's really possible to do wonderful Chardonnay and Pinot Noir up there. And, um, I think he's sort of at the forefront of that, which is awesome. And then I, before going up to upstate as well, my brother and his wife and their daughter came into New York a night early and, they really were like wanted to have Israeli food. So of course I took them to Miss Ada. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, where else would you take them to Miss Ada? And um, I had a really delicious wine from Itata, a Sinso 
from Para Libre. Um, and it was just like amazing Chilean Senso that was really interesting and delicious and yeah, all kinds of good. So those were the, those were the two like most memorable things I drank this week. Nice. Yeah. Good wines. Yes. Very good wines. Very good. I mean, there was, you know, there was some bourbon in there, some cocktails went for, for the mom's birthday, but you know, nothing as <laughs> memorable as, as that. Nice. Uh, so Joanna. Yeah. It's your topic this week. Yes. So why okay. don't you introduce it? So I think we got a press release earlier this week about a light, low-proof vodka. And it just like kind of broke my heart a little bit. And um, <laughs> I broke my brain a little it bit. It broke to my be brain fair. a little bit too. Um, it's 25% less alcohol than your standard. And it's, it's got a touch of agave nectar in it for sweetness. And um, it just, it made me think about kind of diet alcohol culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't say it's like the proliferation of it that we've seen, but, but it's cropped up in mm -hmm. the past couple of years. And so I wanted to talk to you guys about it because, yeah, I think it's just really fascinating and worth a discussion. Like, why are we seeing this? Where are we at in like drinking culture right now? that we need a we need a light vodka and then there's like diet wine i guess it's not called diet wine it's like light low, low calorie low cal low proof right we we're, we're doing a lot of the no and low these days um but the low vodka light vodka like really hurt your soul it feels like we're <laughs> taking it to another level well and it's so strange to me because like one of the questions that i have about something like this is like if you want less alcohol in your vodka drink why don't you just put less vodka in yeah i mean the reason if you're the producer of this is you would like to sell a full bottle and have people use it at the same rate that they would use uh you know a standard proof vodka but like as a consumer if you want less like my mom likes gin and tonics but she hates it when uh they are like way too strong or like uh, not way too strong as strong as a normal person would want them so we make them with less gin and then she's happy i yeah. don't have to like get a low proof gin or like mix it with some, you know, not, you know, non-alcoholic gin to like, I don't like fill out the volume or something. Now, obviously there might be some drinks where that's true, but like, yeah, th th for one, this is like this specific element, like the <laughs> low alcohol yeah. vodka seems bizarre to me. It just feels kind of like diet butter, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, sense. that exists too, sadly. It's kind of like we <laughs> diet butter. <laughs> No, but you know, it's like, okay, let's just call a spade a spade here. Like vodka has alcohol, it has calories. Like, yeah, like, like you're saying, Zach, what, why don't you just drink less of it? And I think that that is kind of one of the inherent problems here because I think it's, it's kind of marketed like you can drink as much as you want and have no hangover or less of a hangover the next day. But but I think that it kind of ignores the the idea that you could just drink less. In yeah, general. but that doesn't happen. This is America. I mean, like, <laughs> no, like you know, we are not good at that kind of moderation. Uh, moderation. I mean, like, I had a really. It's funny that we're talking about this today because I had a really fascinating conversation. Or not fascinating, maybe not fascinating, just interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, last night at dinner um, about snack wells. Yes. And like that's the same. Diet that was food. the same idea, right? Mm -hmm. It was like Snackwells was basically. It was like we were making fun of my um, my my parents were still in town in New York, and we saw my uncle who lives here, and he's he 
he and his wife are in the food business. And um, we were just talking about all these weird food trends and we were sort of chatting about how in the nineties, like it didn't matter how conscious you are now of the food you ate, like you eat, you know, it's like, Oh, we're all organic. You know, we think a lot about where the, the meat is slaughtered, whatever. Even people like, you know, my uncle who are very conscious, they were fucking giving their kids snack, snack wells. Come on. Mm-hmm. Like everyone was, it was like such a huge trend. And it was this trend that basically said exactly what you're saying, Joanna, but on the food form, like, you can eat as many cookies as you want and not yeah. feel guilty. <laughs> you know, eat that whole. And like, what we didn't realize is what they were doing is whenever something like this happens, right? There's, there's always something else that's getting added to it to make yes. it more yeah. so Like, So we yeah. were removing the fat from snack wells, but we were like adding so much more sugar to yeah. snack wells. And like, like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Right. That's fine. Like all these preserve, all these weird chemicals we can't pronounce. Like that's fine because fat's bad. Well, so now it's like everyone doesn't want calories, but so who knows what's being put in these diet vodkas or whatever to make them taste okay. You right. know, it's, it's, we don't know, you know, and maybe we should just go back to the thing that we've all been consuming for centuries, right? We've, we've been distilling spirits at proofs that vodka normally is made at for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Maybe we should just go back to that and drink less of it. Yeah. You know, but like, again, people want to still, as you said, like they want to, that, that's not where the no and low movement is going, I think. And that's where, again, we've had this conversation so much on this podcast, but that's where the industry and consumer behavior are at a massive disconnect. The industry thinks that consumers are consuming these things because they want to, you know, drink less of it and they're being conscious. But really, it's that they want to drink more of it, right? But they, but they don't want to feel guilty. Yes, and it's it's that point. So it's like, oh well, I can drink a bottle of it because it says diet. Yeah, you know, like that's what diet coke is. It's no one, no one who drinks diet coke doesn't order the big gulp. Yeah. I know someone who does that for sure. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. so come on. I, and, I, and I think, but it is so annoying because we've we've known for so long with every other category of food and beverage, like the diet version is never better. And don't you come from me, Diet Coke drinkers? I don't care what you <laughs> say. It's not better. Like it, there's something being added to it to make it taste somewhat similar. So these diet, you know, diet alcohol, diet wine, di- you know, diet spirits, diet beer. It's just so stupid. Yeah. And I'm not even like, ultimately I'm not mad at this vodka brand because I mean, I'm mad at it for lots of other reasons, but I think like you said, this is kind of where we're going. So ultimately it was kind of smart, right? Maybe they're the first one and it's very lifestyle driven and has, it looks nice. So I think they're really capitalizing on something that they're anticipating to happen, that they're already seeing happen, happening in drinks culture. I mean, I guess get the money if you can get it, but damn. I just wonder how long it will last. But we did see skinny girl cocktails last and prosper and do very well, right? Those are still around. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been thinking about this a lot. Because I think an ongoing conversation that we've all been having on the podcast, on, at the site, et cetera, is sort of trying to get a handle on the on the low and no category and like who exactly is it appealing to? Yeah. What where, what is the actual possible market size for this? You know, is it is there is there really a, a significant chunk of people who drink who are also interested in these sort of lower or no alcohol alternatives, or is it really a segment a, a small segment of the drinking public that might be interested in it? Plus, maybe a few people on the no alcohol side who otherwise wouldn't consume alcohol, but, you know, for whatever set of reasons. 
And I think the the problem as I as I see it is in some ways spirits have at least in my perspective have had the hardest time making sense in this space because of I think what I mentioned before that you can always use less if you want a lower proof version. And also because in some way I think our perception of the level of alcohol that should be in a spirit is more finely attuned even if people can't define it like even if you wouldn't even if you quiz random people and said you know what's the standard proof for a gin or whiskey or whatever right i'm not that there's always exactly a standard but you know what's the range people might have no idea but i think in some ways because especially with those spirits that are being consumed you know without a whole lot of additions or or you know kind of being mixed into things we kind of taste the the lack of alcohol, the lack of body more starkly there. I think, you know, low and no alcohol beer, wine can do more to kind of mask that. And people, I think, have less of a sense for what, like an intuitive sense for the alcohol level in those things in a way that just, and they're just lower. So there's not as, it's the, the difference of a percent or two isn't as noticeable as the difference of 10 or 15, you know, uh, proof as in, or more in spirits. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I struggle to see how, even if this is in some ways giving people, some people what they want, right? Permission to drink more. I don't know that that's, this is the way that people want to do it. I'm not, I'm just not sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things you talk about that's really interesting here is this idea that like the majority of these things, because they have less alcohol in order to have less, calories don't taste that good yeah like right but is it even about the taste i don't know because like you know one of the biggest things i've thought about recently is like there's always people coming out now with like can cocktail version like can cocktails that are lower alcohol and lower calorie and they're saying they're doing that you know to fit into this wellness movement and they're just not very good. So then I think, well, then the only way you're going to be able to build this brand, I would think is off premise because I can't see an on-premise person stocking this in replacement for their ability to make, let's say, an espresso martini. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, as you said, maybe it doesn't matter. Like right now, if people are this calorie conscious and alcohol you know, conscious that they want to have three espresso martinis, not one, then yeah, maybe they don't care. I just – the drink just doesn't taste very good. But I guess neither does Diet Coke. But also like I think the vodka is such a good example because you're taking something that's already kind of been used as a diet or like you know the cleaner, lower calorie option that people have been drinking for decades because of that and you're you're like taking taking alcohol away from it. So it's like nobody was really drinking <laughs> – nobody right. drinks vodka – for, for how it tastes in the first place. We've discussed this many times, right? You guys hate the craft vodka movement. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so I think that's like, it's like even more interesting that you're taking something that people have been using as like the, the low calorie, whatever, cocked uh, spirit, and then, and then further making it worse, I guess. <laughs> Or like if you think of vodka, you know, a vodka diet soda or whatever water tastes bad, imagine a low calorie vodka with diet soda water. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or worse, Adam, this vodka water trend. 
Oh, I was waiting because I thought we were going to do an episode on it. I think we should at some point, but the, for the people who drink vodka waters at the bar, how about a Ooh. diet vodka water? It's just, yeah, it's strange. I mean, look, and who knows? Will this? Will there be diet bourbon? Will there be diet tequila? Like, it's it's very much something that seems to be very trendy right now, and that's what happens, right? Whenever, whenever there are trends in a specific, you know, business, a lot of people jump in. So like, as you said, these people probably think, well, it's going to come. Why not us first? Yeah. You know, and either it takes off and we will see many more diet vodkas or it doesn't take off and we won't see many more diet vodkas, but basically, you know, hard seltzer is all diet. Yes. You know, I mean, this idea to hit this under hundred calories is, you know, I, when I ask people why they drink them, it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm not trying to get my dad bod yet, or you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm trying to stay fit while I go to the gym and all this stuff. So I think, but they want to be able to also drink six of them, right? You know, and have a great afternoon or whatever that is, as opposed to drinking one or two fresh hot beers that are 300 calories each, and so so that's I think where all of this is coming from is just this desire to feel less guilty, but have the same amount of calories. I just like, I I think we will see a backlash and it could come sooner than later in the same way that we did with food because it's just not as delicious. No, it's like the satisfaction level of three shitty, like light vodka and, and waters can't pop. I can't imagine it matches up to, you know, one proper drink for most people. And I think that's, yeah, that's kind of where the like, the the conundrum lies and to come back to the snackwell analogy from yeah. earlier like the problem with those things i mean there were many problems with them but fundamentally i think something that people started to realize is like yeah you get to eat more but you're still not happy with like it's the, the amount of satisfaction you get from eating whatever number of those you think are acceptable versus like one actual cookie like your body it's the same thing with like cutting fat out right like your body has a sort of you know, whatever, it's not a diet or a, a nutrition podcast, but like <laughs> y- you get satisfied in a way from having certain foods or certain drinks, I think, yeah. uh, you know, that, that a, a sort of ghost outline version of them, just you know, no matter how many you stack on top of one another can't match. And and I think you're very right, Adam, that like there, there's going to be a, there's that like moment of like, oh, cool. I can have as many of these as I want. I, I And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but like, I'm not, none of them, are that good? <laughs> I'm just, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, look, like everything in moderation, right? I'd much rather have like one Oreo cookie than four fucking snack wells that taste like cardboard and are super sweet. And every once in a while, maybe you binge on four Oreo cookies, you know? Yeah. It's like, but I just, I think that that's going to have to happen. You know, we, we saw that happen, right? The, the butter versus margarine. And then everyone went back to butter because like, oh, margarine actually isn't that good for us. And it doesn't taste that good. And right, it's not- whole foods. Right. It's not that good to cook with. Like, I think mm-hmm. it will happen, right? But right now we are definitely on this weird trajectory that we've seen in every other drinks movement as well, where like there's a bunch of people pursuing fl- like full flavor, big, bold, alcohol, et cetera. And then the other, on the totally opposite side, we're seeing people who are pursuing basically things that are just, at this point, alcohol delivery systems that they can have over a long course of time that they also don't feel good about. I think those are the two biggest trends we're seeing in alcohol, and they're happening simultaneously. And I think that's what's so so interesting. And that's never really seemed to happen before. 
like when when wine was going all big bold cab in the 90s like it was all going that way and now there's still that group of people who like those wines and to be fair you know for those who listen to this podcast say oh adam that's just the boomers no there's a lot of gen z and millennials mm-hmm. that love those big bold high alcohol wines but there's this very opposite group of people who are going after massively high acid low alcohol wines some natural right like that's the movements yeah. it's happening in, and clearly it's happening in spirits and it's happening in beer and it's really interesting i don't think we've seen this happen in this way in a very long time i think it's happening because of the innovation that we're seeing too like where yeah. people are able to do this now in a way that they weren't able to before and i do think just to your earlier point like i think tequila makes a lot of sense as the next step for this if we we love a skinny marg like Come on, make your skinny marg with some light tequila. Yeah, oh, I think I think this so is too. interesting to me that you say that because I wonder with tequila, part of the like the selling point of tequila though is also it's sort of like purity and like uh, you know it's like it's like mm-hmm. the cleanest spirit. Yeah, and so I wonder like whether that's true or not. Yeah, I'm not exactly. We're not, we're not debating <laughs> that at the moment, but but I think the public perception of tequila is like you know whereas vodka is kind of even if people don't know a lot about vodka, they kind of get the sense that it's sort of just like, you know, it's kind of this mechanical process to make, right? That's why there are so many different base distillates for vodka versus like, you know, agave. And I think that it might be harder to convince someone that like manipulating their tequila to get it to be, you know, 26% alcohol instead of 40 or whatever is something that they're going to get on board with. Now I could be completely wrong here. Maybe all people give a shit about is the calorie count on something, but I think, Mm -hmm. I think tequila is harder to pin down in that regard because so much of its prominence in this part of the drinking kind of space is about that at least perceived, you know, virtue of cleanliness. Yes. and No. Yeah. I, I do. I do think that I think while there are plenty of people who, care about that i think there are probably also plenty of people who don't get that deep yeah i think that's true i I mean look all you have to look at is like the 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 we've talked about this a little bit too the rise of like these flavored tequilas that are coming up now like you know 21 seeds and things like that that like there's gonna be a lot of people who don't care Mm -hmm. the provenance of the tequila they just want like a tequila that tastes good that they think is is even less calories and therefore less guilt than why they're currently drinking tequila, which is that they already think it's healthier for them. Right. And you're yeah. not going to get a hangover. Exactly. So that's not true. It's not. <laughs> it's very depressing, right? This was a depressing episode. I'm so sorry. Just work out. Just have a balanced diet. <laughs> yeah, we can't all be swimmers, Adam. Yeah. Try harder. <laughs> you and your regular vodka and your swimming. First of all, my swimming, but no regular vodka. We all know how I feel. Yeah, we know. Yeah. And I'm just doing a and I'm just doing a shot of bourbon at every lap. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? I mean, oh, that's the no. that's first of all not safe. That's not water. That's not Bryce <laughs> Water <laughs> Safety <laughs> Zach. Secondly, <laughs> could you imagine though? Like I've never understood the people who like do these beer runs. Oh yeah. Oh. Like just insane. <laughs> I have I would played, never I have drink. done sports a couple of times in my life after drinking some amount and it is never good just never <laughs> yeah all never all the time. it's a bad idea bad idea anyways <laughs> i will talk to you both on friday have a great week sounds great thanks so much for listening to the vine pair podcast the flagship podcast of the vine pair podcast network if you love listening to this show or even if you don't 
but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.